Home Buster Podcast. Home Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. Your San Diego Padres eliminated the number one seeded Los Angeles Dodgers. But it doesn't stop there. No, 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 no. It doesn't stop there. The Philadelphia Phillies knocked off the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves. So we have the San Diego Padres and the Philadelphia Phillies set for this NLCS. A NLCS that I don't think anyone, I don't think any baseball pundit predicted. I can't find any credible baseball pundit that had this matchup. And if you exist, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to put it out there. If maybe you had one of these teams, maybe you had one of these teams, but both. No, if you did, you are Nostradamus. You, you have a crystal ball looking into the future. You are from the future because there is no way in hell you told me the Phillies and Padres would be headlining our NLCS this year. I, I'm shook. I am shook, my friend. Speaking of that, you guys are minus 118, according to FanDuel, to win this series. So Padres World Series? God, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, you want to get too ahead of yourself or you want to temper expectations again? I know you played it a little coy when we we're talking NLDS, but how are you feeling today? Uh, just all of the emotions have poured out and it's it's a celebration for days. Like it's, uh, I don't know, like Mardi Gras or something like that. I don't know. It's just, it's a celebration of my entire life when it comes to rooting for sports and uh, yeah, we have to play another series now against the Phillies. And I said, coming into the, the DS, when we did our preview that uh, I didn't make picks for the series and I didn't feel confident about a couple series, but if you had to pin me down, I might've gone over four picking wildcard series. I think I might've taken Cleveland over the Rays, but like pretty much I might've gone over four in picking those. Well, I had the Dodgers, but that was more of an emotional hedge. I had the Braves and I genuinely thought the Braves were going to win. The one thing that brings me solace is I said the team I had the most confidence in was the Astros. And I, I will say that I got that one uh, absolutely correct. But the Padres and Phillies being in the NLCS is just kind of ridiculous. And Philadelphia has been fantastic. Like the Padres are very easy to explain how they go from being a team that wins 89 games in the regular season to a team that's now in the CS. Their bullpen has pitched... 17 innings, and until Max Muncy hit a sack fly yesterday, they had allowed zero runs. They went 21 consecutive batters retired in the Dodgers series with their bullpen. And by the way, their eight, nine, and one hitters of Hassan Kim, Aaron, uh, Austin Nola, and uh, Trent Grisham have an over a thousand OPS in the postseason so far. So that'll explain. And by the way, Juan Soto has been the unluckiest hitter in baseball in a postseason in three postseasons. His expected batting average and his expected on base percentage are the lowest compared to what it should be uh, in like three postseasons so far. So all of that combined explains how the Padres got there for the Phillies. I think the Phillies just might have been this team and we just kind of ignored them because what do the Phillies do well? They score a lot of runs and their starting pitchers give them quality outings at the top. And they've yeah. done exactly that and destroyed the Braves. And the Phillies, so we go back to that video we did, Dark Horse World Series favorites. And I mentioned the Phillies mostly because the big storyline of the offseason for them is look at what they're doing offensively. You know, you add a Kyle Schwarber, you add Nick Castellanos, you're adding some run production to your lineup. It was just going to be a matter of, can they defend? Can they get enough from this rotation? Was Zach Willers given enough at the top? You have Aaron Noah, who's given them some solid performances. And they've been able to kind of piece it together from there. And so that's how the Phillies got here. They just hit a hot streak. I believe it was around the All-Star break. And they just haven't stopped. And now they finally got Bryce Harper back. And he's hitting some bombs. <laughs> Reese Hoskins also just, God, that one that he had, the bat spike homer. He mm. let... That, that one shook the earth when he put that one in the ground. That was greater than any Gronk spike I've ever seen. And it, it, it just speaks to the heartbeat of Philadelphia. You're talking about a great sports city. They were electric. They haven't seen anything like their, this from this Phillies team in years. Probably since the last time when Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley were in town and lighting things up. That was the last time the Phillies really could get excited about their baseball team. 
You signed Bryce a couple years ago, and to this point, it hadn't really worked out for you. You really hadn't gotten the production that you were looking for when you signed Bryce Harper, the chosen son, the man who was leading Sports Illustrated covers at the age of 16. And now you're seeing him in there. And we we always mention this. Bryce, hell of a postseason performer, but it just never materialized into anything with the Washington Nationals. And now he's putting a team on his back, you know, at least the energy on this team, you know, putting him on his back. And here, here they are. You just, production from a guy like JT Riomoto, who has gotten really hot in the back half of the season. You get a rookie out there like Alex Baum, who is giving them some solid level production as well. They haven't even gotten the best to have like a guy like Bryson Stott. And still they're able to like have a lineup that just each and every outing puts some fear in you. Like when I mentioned in the preview, I had Braves in four, so I got the series wrong ultimately, right? But I told you this offense will steal a game. It just turned out they stole three games just by being that much more dynamic than the Atlanta Braves could have ever planned for. And that's the biggest fear, I would say, for a Padres fan like yourself is that this lineup is a scary lineup. Top to bottom can really put up run production. You talk about the it's important that you guys are getting production from the bottom half of your lineup, too. Will that carry into this series? If that carries into this series, then we could be in for some exciting slugfest between both teams. I will say the reason I like your Padres a little bit more is I trust the postseason rotation more than I trust the Phillies rotation. I still think that that holds up. Having a guy like uh, you, Darvish at the top, the hometown kid, Joe Musgrave. Hell, even Blake's now will give you a solid postseason pr- performance. I don't know what we're going to get consistently from Nola and Willer going into the further October, but Hey, got him to NLCS. So it's, it's a question of how much more do I want to doubt him? Because I was sleeping on both teams. So it's just like, who should I wake up to first? <laughs> yeah, I get that. And the Phillies did take care of one thing, which is their bullpen is not the worst in the history of baseball. Like it was in 2019, they've had terrible bullpens for years and years and it's not perfect. It's not perfect. Their solution was just to beat the Braves by six runs in every game that they played in the series. Yeah, so that don't they give never... them a chance. Just, just yeah. end it, right? <laughs> by the way, their bullpen still messed up. They just had such a gigantic cushion that there was no scenario where the Braves could come back and catch them. Like that that game, uh, game one, they should have won seven to one and it ended up being seven six. They were up eight two in game four. And I think the final score was eight four at the end of the game. Like they just... The bullpen is a problem for Philly, which is why the starting pitching is going to be important. I will, I will, I'll throw out some love for Thor. Also, he he might pitch a game three or a game four for Philadelphia as well. Which in a long series, where from what I can tell, there's only one off day in the entire series. They're going to play seven games in eight days potentially, if that's how this series plays out. Thor might be needing to get in there and deliver a big start. I got to give Brandon Marsh a shout out too. I I forgot to mention him. He was also, as it turns out, a big addition for this team, you know, adding a guy like Marsh who was struggling on the angels, which is further proof, by the way, (laughs) just get anyone out of a Los Angeles angels uniform and they will flourish. So Brandon Marsh, congratulations. It's so weird. It's so weird how that works out with the angels. And it's weird that the Phillies are here because Remember, I mean, going into this year, the Phillies had the longest playoff drought in baseball. Into 2020, the Padres and the Marlins both had the two longest playoff droughts, and they broke both of them in the pandemic year. So, like, we're talking about two teams. I know it feels like the Phillies have semi-recently been to a World Series and won a World Series. Y'all, that was 15 years ago. Wait, like, wait. Wasn't the Mariners the longer drought than the Phillies? Or are you talking NL? I'm talking NL, yes. Yeah, okay. Sorry, just they had the longest playoff drought in the National League, second longest only behind the Mariners, which also got broken this year. Shout out to the Mariners. And an 18-inning yeah. game with no runs. And... Just Philadelphia is in that interesting place. And again, baseball's weird. Baseball's random. The 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 odds reflect that. It's basically a toss-up series. And as a Padres fan, I won't allow myself to get overly excited or set expectations there because <laughs> God, this is just everything beyond my wildest dreams. Not already. even as and the favorite. Not even as the favorite. You're not getting a little confident. I'm just I'm just excited not that games one that and chest. two. I'm just excited that if we go to a game six and a game seven, it will be in San Diego which will be the biggest games in the history of that franchise, which is hard to say given what just happened with the last two games in San Diego. And uh, 
all the all the craziness that comes out of that because like that stadium was like a, a European soccer stadium when they had the rain delay they were singing along the songs everyone made the same joke from Top Gun with Goose and it's just it was excellent it was fantastic to see that and I'm glad game six and seven will be in San Diego if we so come to that place because Baseball's random and the odds reflect that this series is going to be a total toss up and Phillies are a nice little cushion instead of playing a hundred win teams like the Padres have played in every round of the playoffs and somehow I mean they, they they've kind of handily nice beat every cushion team. nice little cushion he says Philadelphia are you gonna let that stand are you gonna let that Philly, stand that Philadelphia. Be, that's gonna be in quotes in the comment section that one phrase nice little cushion I mean, Philadelphia, the Padres are hosting a playoff series for the first time in, I believe, 30 something years that they've been a a favorite going into a playoff series. I mean, Philadelphia is incredible. Philadelphia's offense is better than the Padres offense. I will say that like it's San. I mean, San Diego's only done this because Ha Sung Kim Trent Grisham, who, by the way, Trent Grisham, who recorded 500 at bats this year, which is obviously a high number to hit because he's such a great defensive player. Second worst batting average in the history of baseball for someone who had 500 at bats. And now all of a sudden he's got a 400 on base percentage and a 1.4 OPS in the playoffs. Austin Nola, who for years has been the worst trade that Preller has made because they gave up Ty France and Andres Munoz, who's an amazing closer for the Mariners. Austin Nola's hitting 400 in the, in the playoffs. Even the worst hitter on the Padres, Jake, or, or for the first four games of the playoffs, Jake Cronenworth, who went 0 for 15 in the Mets series and game one against the Dodgers. He hit a homer in game two in Los Angeles. He hit the game-winning RBI double to, to beat the Dodgers. Like, even the people who have been slumping have found ways to hit. Uh, but you know you what? Same magic thing words, slumping. Slumping on the slump buster? Yeah, the bust a slump. Oh, yeah. slumps on the slump yeah. buster. Yeah, no slumps. Jake Cronenworth hitting. Jake Cronenworth getting it done. All these Padres getting it done. Profar's had home runs. The Phillies have kind of been the same thing, except the Phillies, we all knew their offense was ridiculous. And I mean, when Gene Segura is your eight hitter, you have a really good offense. I just thought that the Braves would be able to overcome that. And I was incorrect. I was correct in suggesting that Nick Cassianos didn't forget how to play baseball too. <laughs> Maybe they got him out of the Ben Simmons house. Maybe that was the key. Uh, all right, guy. Well, <laughs> well hey, we got to get a prediction in here, right? I, I know you hedged last time. How you feeling today, man? How you feeling? Are you gonna are you well, gonna like last time and say they got swept just out of superstitious sports fandom? Well, I have to respect the curse, right? But now that the curse is broken and the Padres have eliminated the Dodgers in the greatest moment San Diego sports have experienced that feels like winning a championship. I'm going to say Phillies in four. That's that's kind of my uh, that's my pick on that one. I think the, the Phillies will win in four. And uh, I have no expectations going into this series. And I will be an emotionally grounded Padres fan who will enjoy every moment that this opportunity provides for us. And I know I sound like I'm giving a press conference, but that that is the decision I will have and not put my emotions out there if they lose. Only if they win will I experience the unbridled joy of 20 years of never making the playoffs in my entire childhood. Obviously, I just want a fun October series. We got a lot of fun this postseason. And I guess between the Philadelphia Phillies and the San Diego Padres, I hope that there's a lot of fun to be had there. Uh, Give me a game seven that will go to the Philadelphia Phillies. I am going to go. I'm going to bank on this offense. I think that the production is there. And I just think that Bryce Harper is going to have his defining October series. I think that this is going to be One of those that's going to go down in history for what's sure to be a Hall of Fame career. But who knows? Manny Machado also came out, I think, his same rookie class. So between those two, that will also be like a nice little battle. I'm here for it. I'm here for it, baseball fans. Are you? These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. The Dodgers will win the World Series if we play a full season and there is a postseason. Wait. We are winning the World Series in 2022. No, what We're do you We're winning the World Series this year. Put it on record. The Los Angeles Dodgers had every right to be that confident. Dave Roberts had every right to be that confident. The Dodgers won 111 baseball games. That is tied for the fourth most in the history of baseball. They tied with like a 1920s Cubs team. And 
you know what? They lost. They lost. And by the way, like Padres fans are going to celebrate this like it's a championship. You're damn right, because we're a bunch of losers. And Dodgers fans, y'all lost to the losers. What does that make you? You guys have every right to dance on their graves today. The Dodgers, one of the most cocky, arrogant teams in baseball. And you're right, they, they've deserved it. They, In the sense that win after win after win, record amount of wins this season. The Dodgers have done some historic things. But unless you come down with that commissioner's trophy... No one looks at you the same. No one looks at the 2001 Seattle Mariners and proclaims that the best team of all time because you know what? They couldn't get it done. People are going to look at this Dodgers team and just say they couldn't get it done. And we played Dave Roberts clip here to start off the recording. But Dave, like, what are you doing, man? You make a guarantee like that on March, March of this year, my birthday, March 24th. You give me this clip and I get to use that here on October 16th to celebrate the Dodgers getting eliminated. Listen, I'm a Giants fan, so I don't love, in general, the Padres succeeding. That's not something that I would go for on any other day, except when it is at the expense of the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's like, Say it again. That's like a middle ground Say it again. that we could just kind of bring together at the expense of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I, I look around this one. Okay, so here's another thing I got to proclaim. I hope, as a Giants fan, as someone who has a rooting interest in the NL West, that the Dodgers never fire Dave Roberts. Just keep him <laughs> managing for as long as possible. Dave, you, you are my best friend in the entirety of Major League Baseball. You are someone that gives me a lot of joy because the disappointment the Dodgers face each and every October by virtue of your managing is nothing short of a delight. So thank you, Dave Roberts, for all that you do for this Giants fan based out here in Austin, Texas. The best part about Dave Roberts being the manager of that Dodgers team is that Dave Roberts lives in San Diego. Dave Roberts was the bench coach for the Padres. When San Diego fired Bud Black after like nine seasons, Dave Roberts was lined up to be manager of the Padres. And then he took the Dodgers job. Like, it's just chef's kiss perfect. Dave Roberts didn't deserve a World Series this year because he robbed baseball of a Clayton Kershaw perfect game. That alone, baseball sin. <laughs> This is your reward. This is the payoff because when Dave Roberts pulled Clayton Kershaw from that perfect game, his excuse was, well, we're trying to win the World Series trophy, you know? If I have him pitch an 81st pitch, his arm will blow out and then we won't make it to the October 31st or whatever. There's a lot of people that, you know, are cheering for the Dodgers, not only just for today and Clayton to throw a no-hitter, but for the Dodgers to win the World Series. Well, guess what? You Dave, didn't make it there anyway. Dave, so now we can Dave, play the results. Yeah. Kershaw was going to give up that home run to Machado either way, man. It was going down the dis. It was going the way it was going because the San Diego Padres didn't just beat the Dodgers. They whooped that ass. They whooped that, they got that ass. ass. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got all up just, in there. Oh, it was so <laughs> great. Like for people who don't know, I'm from San Diego. I, I don't live there anymore, but I'm basically my earliest childhood memory was 2007 when the Padres lost a game 163 to Colorado where Matt Holliday never touched home. We know that he didn't touch home. There just wasn't replay, replay review back then. The Padres never made the playoffs my entire childhood. From age 5 to age 19, never made the playoffs. This, this win, San Diego's going to celebrate it like a championship, and all of us agree this feels like what winning a championship feels like because this is... Sacramento making the playoffs and beating Golden State in the first round. This is the Detroit Lions making the playoffs and beating the one seed Green Bay Packers. Like, we're going to celebrate this like we just won a goddamn championship because we are the worst team in baseball record wise. Well, your best worst. player, well, your best player isn't even playing for you guys because he had a bad case of ringworm. How's that for another? <laughs> headline going he's not even allowed point. to be around the team as far as i'm concerned like because of the suspension he can't even be around the team for this it's just it's remarkable and i mean manny machado might win mvp he might not but he's the emotional spiritual leader the fact that he was on the dodgers and left to come to the padres and four years later beat the dodgers like it's 
it's yeah. just beautiful. Kyle, Kyle, you know, we, we've had this debate online bef- between each other, you know, Manny, Manny Machado, is he a Hall of Famer, is he not? Well, this is a Hall of Fame moment, you know, beating the Los Angeles Dodgers, the one seed, knocking them out after you just beat the 100-win Mets. The Padres are having a run. There, There's no debate here. They're having a nice little run. And we'll get into the preview on another video. You got to check that one out on the channel. We'll get into the preview in the NLCS. But the Padres should go into this one as the favorites. That, that's something that the Padres can celebrate and kind of like say, wow, we, we got to this point. We should be the favorites, which is a dangerous thing to have in the baseball playoffs because this October, like every October, has just been wild and fantastic. <laughs> and everything that I love about postseason baseball. But the Padres are here. When they made all those trades at the deadline, when they put together this team at the deadline, this is what you wanted. This is the results. This is the fruits of the labor. We, we've talked about the GM. Is he a dick sometimes? Sure. But you know what? He's a dick that can build a team. It's paying off. Well, hey, it's paying off. You have an <laughs> NLCS appearance. That's something that 20 franchises out of Major League Baseball would be begging for, dying for. <laughs> You talk to a White Sox fan, how they're feeling today, or potentially a Yankees fan, how they may be feeling, or Red Sox, or all these other blue blood franchises, and the Padres are the ones that advance, pull themselves out from the gutters, out from the sewers to make it to the NLCS and potentially grasp for that big trophy at the end. Congratulations. My hat's off to you, my friend. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And Look, the the identity of San Diego and and the baseball team is changing because, look, they spend a lot of money now. They're they're competing in the same ways that big market teams do. But the identity is still there of a team that basically like it's not that the Padres are like cursed in terms of like they they get close and lose. They just never get close. They're just they're a minor league baseball team that happens to exist within this major league construct. And it took five years of concerted effort to, I mean, really it took 10, but we could call it five to six, like rebuilding the team from scratch to be able to beat the Dodgers, which that is God unheard of Dodgers with, with all their money. <laughs> like the Dodgers might be one of the best run organizations in the history of North American sports and have more resources than anyone else. And for that to happen, for that to actually happen is just perfect because like maybe this Padres turn this into like a run where they consistently make the playoffs and they're spending a lot of money and they behave like say the Astros or the Braves. But for right now, the identity is loser franchise 22 games worse than the Dodgers in the regular season this year. They were 22 games worse than the Dodgers and for them to beat them in that way in San Diego, by the way, the first two playoff victories in San Diego since before I was born. I was not born the last time the Padres won playoff games in San Diego. It was the 1998 NLCS. And for that to happen against the Dodgers in San Diego with that stadium looking like it's a European soccer stadium was just the coolest thing ever. And again, I said it, this is this is like a championship. This is genuinely like a championship emotionally i'm just playing it like everything after this is great you know it, it feels like a championship but let's not lose sight you guys still have a chance at the actual thing that still is within play so congratulations san diego padres for advancing and thank you for the memories thank you for eliminating the dodgers we all owe you guys a huge debt if you are dancing on the grave of the los angeles dodgers we want to hear it below in the comment section Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Kyle Ledbetter and Juju. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you on the preview. The Slumbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. This happens every time. It happens every time, but if you take a shot at the king, you best not miss. Tennessee didn't miss. They took down the Alabama Crimson Tide 52 to 49. There's a point in this game where Tennessee took a big lead. They were leading 28 to 10. And we're messaging back and forth in our little group chat. Oh, wow. Is Tennessee just going to smoke Alabama? And you messaged back. You had an interesting retort. You're like, I've seen too many times where Alabama's just down a couple touchdowns and ends up winning the game by a couple touchdowns. 
And at one point, it seemed likely it was just chaos at the end. Tennessee just comes out the victors uh, on an ugly game-winning field goal, by the way. This thing, I don't know how this thing made it over the crossbars. It, it looked like one of the genuinely worst kicks I have ever seen <laughs> that has ever been considered good. It looked worse than even the double-doink field goal, and it actually made it over the crossbar to give the balls the victory. What is the reaction coming off of that performance by Tennessee and Alabama? Y'all, I don't know if Nick Saban is the man for this job. <laughs> I don't I don't know if Nick Saban is the man to lead this program into the future. There's always that person whenever Alabama ends up losing a single football game. But the reason you could point to this one and say that this was a I don't know if it's Bill O'Brien or Nick Saban, but Tennessee should have never gotten the ball at the end of that game. When you get to third and 10 and Tennessee has those timeouts, don't keep throwing the ball. Don't let them have a chance to, with 15 seconds left in the game, go down the field and kick a field goal. Like that's that's the one thing you can point to and say after all of the weirdness that happened I mean, in the Bryce middle. Bryce Young was hit, hitting wide open guys, so it, it's tough for me to say don't throw the ball yeah. because you're throwing the ball very efficiently. And up until that stop, they they were doing such a good job driving the ball downfield on them, and you want to kind of like not leave enough time because what we saw it in mean, Tennessee they didn't need a lot of time to drive the ball downfield on this defense on this Alabama defense and okay so you mentioned the running joke with Nick Saban you mentioned <laughs> that everyone freaks out after a single <laughs> loss but the only reason I would say that you can maybe start freaking out a little bit you lost the championship game to Georgia Tennessee's here six and zero and beating you and they have one of the best offenses in college football Ole Miss also undefeated and has a former Nick Saban disciple and Wayne Kiffin as their head coach. You have all this dynamic shifting in the SEC prospects going to different places than they used to when we're used to just seeing them funneled into Alabama and Clemson in years past. But now NIL has changed this entire game. No denying it. As long as Nick Saban's the head coach of Alabama, they'll be consistently in the top 10. They'll be consistently in the top five. They'll always be hanging around. But now I think we've reached, finally reached the point where it's not going to be year after year after year. We could just write Alabama into the college football playoffs because on any given year, a Tennessee now could jump in there. An Ole Miss can now jump in there. I think that we've hit that point in college football. Well, obviously we thought Texas A&M was going to be in there and they gave Alabama a run for their money last week. But we thought Texas A&M was going to be up there, and they still they still might in future years because on the recruiting level, Jimbo Fisher and those guys are still doing an amazing job. So the yeah. SEC is not the same SEC that Alabama just ran over for. I mean, look at this Tennessee game. Tennessee hadn't beaten them since 2007. That's the yeah. perfect example for Alabama's dominance in the SEC. But I haven't seen anyone coming out of this game who's – saying Tennessee is a fundamentally better team than Alabama. Like people are saying Tennessee beat Alabama, but I haven't seen anybody who's like Tennessee is fundamentally better than Alabama. It's just they're they're close to each other and Tennessee happened to win a chaotic football no, game. No, but there's trickle down effects from this. There's trickle down effects from getting a victory like this on a big stage. Recruits watch this. Recruits say, "Oh, Tennessee's actually a program that I can go to and win." They aren't the same joke that they were a couple years ago when on Dan Patrick show, I remember talking about this one. They're talking about giving recruits money in McDonald's bags. That, that's yeah. what Tennessee was literally just a couple of years ago. Now they're undefeated and beating Bama on a big stage. Why is it that the wrong UT wearing orange got to storm the field? I'm, I'm a little salty. I'm a little salty. Hell, even <laughs> with that, right? Alabama didn't even have an easy game against Texas, who's also going to the SEC here in a couple of years. Oklahoma, mm -hmm. I mean, they're struggling now, but Oklahoma is a blue blood university. They're going to eventually get some recruits to go over there and they're going to, on any given year, pose problems for Alabama. They're not getting Missouri, right? They're not getting Missouri to come over to the SEC. They're getting Oklahoma and Texas, two programs in, in the past been contenders. 
So you add that to the SEC, you add in general, just college football is changing. The dynamic of college football are changing. Alabama, I, I just don't think that there is a sure thing as they were. Kirby Smart's not going anywhere. Georgia's not going anywhere. There's just there there have been there have been seasons like this before for Alabama where they lose early on in the season and they still go on to win a national championship. 2012, Johnny Manziel won a Heisman because of scheduling conflicts with Bama and it's not two thousand eight. I mean, it's not just the loss. There's also like close games in here. Again, Texas A&M, close game. Texas, close game. They're showing cracks in the armor. Yeah, absolutely. And Alabama, in the broader context, there are three great teams in the SEC at this point. There's Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee this year. And sorry, Ole Miss, I know you're having a great season. You're hosting Alabama, and that's going to be super fun, and you might win that game. Like, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying Alabama will be probably like eight-point favorites on the road against Ole Miss because Alabama has that many four-and-a-half and five-star guys. But I, I need a larger sample size to recognize that the machine is falling for Alabama. And coming out of this game, I think Alabama is still as good of a team as Tennessee, which is crazy to say at the start of the year, but like no evidence from that game suggests like Bama's a worse team than Tennessee. I've You've heard me drop Tennessee's drive chart in here, but it's the most chaotic, magnificent thing I've seen. Tennessee went touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. The only punt of the game was muffed by Alabama and recovered by Tennessee. Touchdown, turnover on downs, Hail Mary that almost got completed to end the half. Second half, turnover on downs, touchdown, interception, turnover, a uh, touchdown, fumble recovered by Bama for touchdown, Tennessee touchdown that was an interception to seal the game, and then 15-second field goal drive. Like, it's just a chaotic game, and Tennessee wins those. We're just so used to Alabama winning the chaos games and them not being the team that has a 49-42 lead and ends up giving 10 points in in four minutes, which you could point to that and say, yeah, Alabama's secondary is cooked goose at this point, and that's okay. Like, they've had shortcomings before. This isn't the most talented Nick Saban roster by any stretch of the imagination, and they still will make the playoff if they run the table. That's just a big if because they have to beat Georgia again. Well, credit to Nick Saban and how he's been able to evolve as the head coach of Alabama. It's not easy for, as they say, an old dog to learn new tricks. But he did. He really did. Because you look at what Alabama was in years past, strong running game, best defense in college football. Well, now, at least the last few years, you go from Tua, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones in that offense. And what you have now with Bryce Young, you know, they were getting the quarterbacks now to go to Alabama. And you look at what's going on in the NFL with those quarterbacks, too. They're actually doing a great job at the NFL level. That's something that Alabama wasn't able to do in years past. But will that go away as more places become realistic options for recruits to go to? We talked about Arch going to Texas. Well, the best example I can point to going to Texas A&M. The the best example I can point to of the changing landscape is Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker at Tennessee is not a highly recruited prospect by any stretch of the imagination, but because he had the transfer portal, when Virginia Tech fired Justin Fuente, he transfers to Tennessee. Josh Heupel puts the the structure and stability around him to build an offense that makes teams look stupid because a player had six catches and five touchdowns for Tennessee in that game. So like if you put the right situation for someone like a Hendon Hooker, he's going to get invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I'm not going to say he's going to win it, but he looks like someone who's going to get invited to a Heisman Trophy ceremony because that offense has looked totally overwhelming in the second year of Josh Heupel. And Tennessee's more of a flash in the pan example. Like they're not the same thing as Alabama who can get any top quarterback prospect they want. It's just betting on the right one and Bama's bet on the right one a couple times. We're we're also talking about this in the wake of a USC loss, but uh, going outside of the SEC a little bit too, you look around and you're like, well, USC might be back. UCLA starting to get a little bit of buzz. So you have some power coming out of the, well, soon to be Big Ten. Obviously, we know that UCLA and USC (laughs) are changing over too. Clemson still hanging around. DJ Uangale, he wasn't as great as advertised, but they're still able to pull a top quarterback recruit and build together some defense as well. Again, I said like Oklahoma, I think can have a rebound. Obviously, Texas, I'm hoping has a rebound. I got my loyalties (laughs) there. You look at the North, you look at Ohio State. Ohio State's just year after year with Ryan Day going to be able to put together an offense. And Michigan has finally hit its stride under Harbaugh. So there's just so many little powerhouses developing, or at least sub-powerhouses, or competitive teams nonetheless. And then you add in 
college football playoff expansion. Alabama's stretch of dominance where they literally, what, what's, how many national titles does Saban have? In uh, that would be now? six and 12 years at Alabama and two national championship game losses as well. If you told me it started to turn more into the college basketball format where, yeah, Duke has like one national championship and so many years, but they're still considered one of the top programs in college basketball or uh, another example like North Carolina, Kentucky, Kentucky, probably the better example, you know, where, yes, they're still dominant. Yes, they're just still always at the top, but they're not pulling down championships year after year. If that's what Alabama turned into, nothing to hang your head in shame for, but it also is a more realistic outcome than the sheer dynasty that they were able to do in years past. I think that that's kind of what I'm expecting or projecting just because not only is it going to be hard to win national championships with all these schools finally good again, but it's going to be hard to get out of the SEC consistently year after year. If Hypo continues to do what he's doing at Tennessee, if Smart continues to do what he's doing at Georgia. If Jimbo Fisher could have a rebound year at Texas A&M and Sark can do well at Texas, all these factors add up to being like, okay, well maybe Alabama makes the national championship one every five years versus they make it every other year. I I think that that's kind of like where I'm kind of like getting at with seeing this loss. And, you know, it is a little bit of over, it could be an overreaction. This could be one of those takes that ages poorly, but, I don't think it is. I, I think, you know, and Nick Saban's not going to be able to do this forever, right? He's getting older. <laughs> if he could, he would. Nick Saban only has one job. Nick Saban's hobby is recruiting. Like, Nick Saban can do this for, I mean, at least, I mean, he's in his 70s now. So, like, and we'll see what may, ends up happening. And there. maybe, too, the, you know, this is coming from a younger generation perspective. If I was like one of these recruits, dude, there would be a little bit of like, I don't want to just play for Alabama. Sometimes I want to beat Alabama. Alabama is a machine. So this is the interesting part about this is that they've developed a machine and it's not going to last forever. Like I understand the skepticism. I just haven't seen the evidence that suggests that the machine is falling apart. Like Alabama, even with almost losing to Texas, even with losing to Tennessee, the machine itself is not falling apart because Alabama is still in that group that will make it to the college football playoff. But of course, we're so used to them making eight championship games in 12 years that the standard is shifting because there, there we go. They're That's the most all I'm really getting at. I'm not saying that Nick Saban's falling off. This team will never yeah. make a national championship again. Alabama's done. They're cooked. They're gone. They're out of it. No, I'm just saying that I don't think we're going to see a dynasty like Alabama was continue into the future because there are just so many good teams in college football now and i think that this is going to continue as nil takes off more we maybe even get to the point where we're talking about college athletes getting just paid directly and that that's all going to be stuff that's going to be factored in that's going to be baked into the cake um that i don't think alabama is just going to be able to compete at that same level they'll still do well for themselves because they are alabama at a certain point name recognition does take over but usc has name recognition Miami has name recognition. Texas has name recognition. Michigan has name recognition. Ohio State, all these programs, all these blue bloods are starting to put their hat back in the ring, you know? There there's only space for one. The in the in the landscape of college football at the very top, there will only be space for one of those teams. And I know we we throw those names out like they're flashy. USC, Miami, Texas, all these teams trying to get back in the game. Only one of them is going to rise to the cream of the crop. And surprisingly, for the last five years, it was Clemson, <laughs> like Clemson, this team that is a flash in the pan moment type of team That's with coaching. I mean, yeah, you just yeah, coaching and do. investing resources that they didn't in the 2000s. Like once they got good, they put the money where their mouth was and wanted to keep building it. it <laughs> Clemson's this uh, this anomaly example. I mean, but Notre all Dame's the teams that you're entering listing. a down period, too, and they're going to have questions yeah. about like Freeman moving forward. But you figure Notre Dame at one point is going to get back in there as well. These are all things, yeah. these sleeping giants too around. The There's sport. one of them is going to get it They're All of these teams are competing for an incredibly thin space because we haven't really mentioned Georgia, who at this point is the best team in the SEC. I know they have their own questions at this point. Georgia is basically in the 2012 Alabama space right now. And I'm not saying Georgia is Alabama. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. I'm saying Georgia last year had the most dominant defense in 20 years in college football and won a national championship with a mailman as their quarterback this year. They are, if not the favorites to win the national championship, number two on that list, Georgia 
is on the path that Alabama was on, that Ohio State's been on for the last few years, where Alabama's like, Urban Meyer, you can get out of here and the machine's going to keep on rolling with Ryan Day. (laughs) And Georgia's in that same place where they are the team that, if you're aspiring to be the team that knocks Alabama down a peg, Clemson was that for six years. They beat Alabama twice in national championship games. And Georgia is that team now that has kind of replaced Clemson in that role. So all those other teams that are trying to build a program from scratch, they're trying to compete in an incredibly thin window to be a perennial playoff team. Like you can perennially make the New Year's Six Bowl games and be what Texas was when they won a Sugar Bowl or be what Oklahoma State is now. Like that space, you can get into and as long as you have stability, you can compete there. You're fighting for an incredibly thin window when we're talking about what Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson and Michigan and I guess the sixth team this year is Tennessee. But again, I don't expect yeah. Tennessee to like ride this into being uh, a perennial 5th, playoff team. November 5th, we'll find out a lot of about Tennessee they play that Georgia team you're talking about there's only six teams that can make the college football playoff it's Georgia Tennessee Alabama Ohio State Michigan Clemson and Ohio State's going to play Michigan in a de facto quarterfinal playoff game because winner will go to the playoff loser will get eliminated and then you have Georgia Tennessee the loser of that is going to not make the SEC championship which maybe the maybe they'll put Two, I mean, it, more would have to happen, but basically two SEC teams will get in the winner of Ohio State, Michigan. And as long as Clemson doesn't shit the bed, Clemson will also get a playoff spot. Well, regardless of what happens moving forward, Hendon Hooker, you are a hero nationwide. You are one of those <laughs> names that will be remembered in the same way that even Johnny Football was remembered for beating Alabama and having a storming the field moment. A fantastic game. Might be game of the year that we just saw. It might be the game of the year just in general in sports that we just saw. Well, and now starts the final quarter. Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the Slump Buster Podcast. Jordan Poole got paid. Andrew Wiggins got paid. Draymond Green, he got a fine. They didn't suspend Draymond Green for knocking out a teammate, which is a whole other ugly mess of a situation that's gone on for the Warriors this week. The extensions kind of ease the blow for anyone talking Bay Area basketball. Uh, What is your initial reaction to both Poole and Wiggins getting these deals? I was surprised it happened on the same day and also kind of thought both of them would happen because basically if if Poole didn't reach an extension on the day that he got it, he would have been a restricted free agent. This is just the way that being an undrafted player works in the NBA. So he wouldn't have been able to negotiate an extension again until after the season ended. So Golden State pushed it right down to the wire with Poole, which interesting choice, I would say, if if you had your apprehensions about keeping him around. They can obviously trade him later, but just interesting apprehensions Deadlines yield results. Deadlines yield results, my friend. Yeah, and then they wanted to lock down Wiggins at the price that he was, which, by the way, I was surprised Wiggins only got 110. Now, like, it's basically the same contract he's getting right now, and I don't think he's going to be on the Warriors for all five years of that contract, but at the same time, I was surprised that he didn't get more coming off of finals MVP. I thought he would get not a max extension, but at least 30 million a year. And he only came out to like 27.5. So I think good deal on the value lines for the Warriors, especially if the salary cap's going to go up in the next couple of years. Did I miss something? I thought Steph Curry was the finals MVP. That's true. He's not a finals MVP, but he was the second best player on a team that had Steph Curry and won the championship in the playoffs. I shouldn't have said finals MVP. I should have said second best player on the Golden State Warriors who won the championship second best player on the championship most second best player on a championship team that the new trophy it's made out of wood i mean some sturdy wood like second best player on a championship team can be kobe bryant and it can be chris middleton there's kind of a wide bar in between the two of those and andrew wiggins i guess is on the lowest end of that because of just how amazing steph curry was in that final series wiggins if i had to measure andrew wiggins impact and how he contained jason tatum i would say yeah that was pretty impactful on that entire series yeah 
I mean, only Golden only Golden State can can put an Andrew Wiggins in that position. But yeah, I was interested by both of them getting extension. Draymond's not going to get an extension. That that one we kind of already knew that, and we kind of knew that they were going to choose those two players over Draymond. Draymond already knew that because there's whispers that you know this is his last season, and he's angling to get to Los Angeles because of the connection to Clutch Agency. And might as well punch out a teammate on the way out. Even before he punched out Jordan Poole, we kind of knew that this was going to be it because Draymond was literally unplayable in games three and four of the finals last season. So I get that point of it. I think that the Golden State Warriors had to make these moves and they're kind of like in this pivotal transition phase where they're basically taking the money they gave to Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and now giving it to Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole, which doesn't guarantee that you're going to get back to the promised land. Like that is not necessarily the best guarantee that you're going to be great, but it's so hard to be great. The fact that the Warriors have been great for eight years with the same core of the team is, I think the only comp is the San Antonio Spurs of having the same core of your team and having that be great for eight consecutive seasons with a little break in between. So do you like this new core as the Warriors of the future? Do you like the idea of Poole, an older staff, and Wiggins being the guys that can carry the Warriors in this next phase. Because Clay Thompson, we kind of agree based off how we saw him in last year's finals. Seems like he's starting to get to the point where he's kind of done. And then Draymond, like you said, he's not going to be a Warrior next year. Do you think that this is the core that can continually keep them as championship contenders? No, they're going to need... One more person. So basically Wiseman? the Warriors, Kaminga? it's either Wiseman, it's Kaminga, uh, it's Moses Moody, maybe. They're just going to have to start playing those players and figure out what they have with those young guys. Because the way that they're going to sustain paying Steph Curry over $50 million a year, paying Jordan Poole $30 million a year, and paying Andrew Wiggins $27.2 million a year, while for the time being having Clay Thompson on the roster, I mean, I don't know how long Clay Thompson is going to still be a Golden State Warrior. He got a five-year extension, so he has two years left on his contract, and he's making $40 million and $43 million the next two seasons uh, to not be the same Clay Thompson of yesteryear, which is an impossible ask. Like Coming off those two injuries, it's an impossible ask for him. But I will say that Jordan Poole, Wiggins, and as long as you have Steph, you're going to be competitive for the next few years. It's what those younger players who are on rookie contracts for the next few years are going to look like. And if they had just taken LaMelo Ball over James Wiseman, I think our answers would be more concrete. But they're still in that position where they're going to need one of those lottery picks to turn into something. Even if it's just becoming Harrison Barnes or even it's if it's becoming just a, a good player instead of a great player, that's something that's going to help because... They already have the foundation of Steph, Clay, Jordan Poole, and Wiggins for the next at least two seasons. I will give you that obviously Lamelo has been awesome already in his NBA career. I think that the jury's still not out on Wiseman. He still has that potential. He still is a big guy. He can give what the Warriors really don't have, especially if we're talking about the post-Draymond Green era. They need some size. That, that will be something that is a needed position for them. So it's just going to come down to can their culture, can that locker room build Wiseman into that type of guy? Uh, again, you talk about Moody and Kaminga. You would love to see those. Now, th they have some things that they're going to have that are different this year. Obviously, Gary Payton Jr. isn't there. So this team loses that perimeter defender that was pivotal in them winning a championship last year they are currently number four according to vegas in terms of best betting odds to win the championship this year uh right behind milwaukee boston and tied with the clippers they're going to be in the mix there's there's no doubt about it they'll be in the mix i question the decision to not suspend raymond a little bit i, I feel like it's not accountability sure a fine is fine it's it's fine you, you, that you gave a fine but I, I would think a suspension would be more appropriate given it got leaked out there and we all saw what it was it was straight up sucker punch the Warriors will continue to be a contender regardless I, even if they just kept that core didn't change anything they will be at worst like number four in the Western Conference with just that core because I think Steph I think I always appreciate about Steph and will continue to appreciate is I think he's the type of player that can age perfectly. Just shooting is something that is 
so valuable. I don't think it's like something that you just kind of like turn off a switch and suddenly you're bad at. Like even Ray Allen in his last season was still a great shooter for the Miami Heat. I think Steph is going to be a type of player that will age consistently. The next thing is with you handing out these deals, you're hoping that there's something more to Wiggins. You're hoping that there's something more to pool. And that's what the Warriors are banking on. Like you said, can Poole ever become a valuable defender to them? Is he always going to be a liability for them defensively? If so, then he needs to become a consistent asset for them offensively. He can't have games where he just disappears. Up until that point where he hit that half-cart shot against Boston, he was pretty quiet. He was pretty contained. You're handing out a deal like this. If you're handing out an extension like this, you are telling Jordan Poole, you are going to be the not just a dude. You might be the dude. For the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Jordan Poole, you are the dude until we can find the dude better than you and then trade you for the dude that's better than you. But if that never comes, then you're the dude. <laughs> yeah, all the pressure's on you, Jordan Poole. This is what this extension does. And now Andrew Wiggins is not a guy that hasn't had pressure in his career. Obviously, you're talking about a former number one overall pick. Andrew Wiggins has dealt with pressure. He's dealt with adversity. He's dealt with Jimmy Butler, basically calling him a pussy, you know? So I, I think that Andrew Wiggins has shown that he can overcome in his career, redefine himself. And if he can just, now that he's gotten paid, now that he's got the steal, I just hope he doesn't get complacent, right? I hope that he keeps that same level of defensive integrity and doesn't go back to what he was in the years past. Because again, he, he shut down Jason Tatum. If he shuts down like a team's most valuable offensive scorer on a consistent basis, then by all means, he always will give this team a chance to win series, win pivotal games. You know, that it, it's a tangible asset that the Warriors can replicate game, game in and game out as long as Wiggins continues to bring that, that intensity. It's something that obviously, you know, Draymond's brought to this team and they're going to have to shift the culture to someone else. Like, again, whether that's Wiseman, whether that's Wiggins, Someone's going to have to pick up the slack when they eventually do make the decision to move on past Draymond Green. And I know a bunch of stuff has changed in the time since, but going into the playoffs last year, the Warriors were the fourth largest favorites to win the championship. And then through all of the offseason changes, they are still the fourth best odds to win the championship. So it's kind of funny how that one played out. You can change the teams at the top a little bit. I know Milwaukee and Boston are still the two favorites, but I mean, the Warriors are kind of the same team, which is they're going to coast through the regular season and then their playoff seat, their playoff run is going to be contingent on Steph Curry being Steph Curry, the, I, one of the greatest I mean, basketball players to ever play. Poke holes in the top four teams i mean milwaukee yeah they had the best player in the world but we've seen them come up short because of injuries and their lack of depth behind Giannis. boston i mean hell literally <laughs> head coach got suspended in the offseason how is that going to affect the team the clippers I mean, the clippers i mean we assume that Kawhi is going to come back and everything's going to yeah, be no all one's watched dory. them play for two seasons yeah, yeah so you look at those three teams and I've seen the Warriors play last season. I saw them win a championship just what, three, four, five months ago, whatever it was. I know that nothing's really significantly changed. I mentioned again, they lose like a Gary Payton, but I'm sure they'll find someone. I'm sure they'll find someone to come up from the G League and fill that role. It's just something that they've been able to do in building this machine that is the Golden State Warriors. Now these deals just signify well, we're planning on being the best team, one of the best teams in the league for the next four, five, 10, 20, 30, uh -huh. 40, 50 years, as long as we could continue to get guys into our locker room and build that culture and build the Golden State Warriors as championship winning basketball, because that is our brand now. We are a legitimate dynasty. KD, no KD, Steph, <laughs> no Steph. Whatever it may well, be, we'll, well be able they do to need staff. They do well, need staff. Let's that. put that but up. As all good organizations do, when the day should come, because it will come, we need to have a future beyond staff. Hopefully, Jordan pulls staff from them because they need someone to be it. Who knows? Who knows?